When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, this is Albert Hammond Jr. and you're listening to the LSQ Podcast. Hey, it's Jenny LSQ. I'm so happy to welcome Strokes guitarist Albert Hammond Jr. for episode 92 of the LSQ Podcast. I was thinking about this, it's crazy, but Albert and I have known each other for like 22 years now. I was a huge early fan of The Strokes when they were just starting here in New York and and would go see their shows as often as I could. Uh, And Albert and I became friends over the course of that time. I was writing for Rolling Stone back then and was lucky to be assigned to write about them quite a bit. Um, And also, during the years since, Albert has embarked on a solo career and put out many an excellent album now, including his new one, Melodies on Hiatus. So let's get into it. Ooh, look at that Seinfeld shirt. Right? It's cool. Pretzels are not, these pretzels are making me thirsty. You know that. Albert Hammond Jr., welcome to the LSQ podcast. Oh, thank you. Wow, we're we're it's, jumping. You know, it's, no, 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 I love it. I was actually just going to ask you, did you eBay that shirt? I did. Oh, okay. So we're here in Los Angeles, which is, we were, as I was arriving, I was asking about this. But yeah, so how long have you been based in LA? Because I feel like last time we would have seen each other was probably you were up in upstate New York. At I time. was, yeah. yeah. I moved to LA. This is my studio, by the way. This is the, my husband. I moved to LA in 2019. I've just been coming here a lot. My solo manager was here, the label, a lot of like other music stuff. I had neck surgery, the band had just recorded in Malibu. My parents were away, so I was using their apartment more and then I rented a house here. And so I just like, I started to come to LA a lot. And so then we just couldn't picture going back to the apartment in New York after living in a house upstate. And then it was just like, let's just see what LA is like. I mean, I was born here. Which is weird because I left it kind of like, you know, like, fuck you. I'll never see you again. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, I hated this place. Or I said I hated this place. I never thought I'd come back. I mean, I lived in New York for like 21 years. It's a long time. But you like it again here now. I love it. You love it. You love it. So, yeah, let's go back to, well, before you hated it, but the first time you were here, legitimately born in L.A. Yeah, in the Valley. Tarzan. And so what's that like? The neighborhood. What might it remind me of in New York? Like, what's Tarzana like? Uh, suburbs. It's just like Fast Times at Ridgemont High. I grew up at that Galleria. That's oh, wow. Where they went is where I went. It's where I first got stoned, where I saw movies. The same, it looked exactly the same. Where Damone scalps his tickets? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> all there. That's It's changed now, but when I grew up till I was 16, I used to, at 12 or 10, would ride my bike, even though it was quite far in my house. But still, when, whenever you're 12, you have plenty of energy. Three to five miles on a bike is nothing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that was like, I don't know, it's just suburbs and Ventura Boulevard. And when did you start to feel an awareness of creativity? I mean, obviously, it's in your family and your dad is a songwriter. Sure, yeah. When did you, though, start to 
feel like, huh, music, art, movies, TV, culture, products are exciting thing to you as a kid? I feel like if I'm remembering correctly, it came in waves. I saw this musical called Buddy, which isn't really a musical, right? It's like yeah. a Buddy Holly story. It's like a play where they talk, but every time he's in the studio or he's on stage, they'll sing songs kind of like Jersey Boys. It's not really okay. a musical like Oklahoma or something like that, where they're singing the story. I saw that and I was so young, but I just remember being blown away that that could be your job. And I kind of started to learn guitar, but still kind of young, didn't really like sink in fully. I actually thought I, wanted, I thought it was going to be like a biologist. And then when I realized kind of like what my dad did, I was like, oh, maybe I can, like, what could I do? What could be a family business? I could take care of something for him. I didn't even know what it was, but I just saw people around him. I could take care of his songs. Like, I feel like aesthetically, I knew stuff and like music, I could like do something in that world. I mean, obviously you're very young. So what that means, I have no, no idea. And then slowly in my teens, I kind of fell in love with movies and music at the same time. I had an older friend, Matt Rivetta, who showed me all this cool music that I, I don't know how I would have found, even though from like Built to Spill stuff, yeah. or Guided by Voices, but even like The Cure or The Cars, just so much music. But Guided by Voices was like the big one. And when I heard them, I was just like, I just felt like I could do it. Because it was more low fidelity and, and felt like something you could play. It's or... funny because I, I always had, no, their songs didn't, like when I heard it, I wasn't like, oh, this is low fidelity. I was just like, oh, this connects to me. You know what I mean? I wasn't thinking yeah. of fidelity in that way. It, it's just, it was so deep on an emotional level when I heard some of their songs. Like it literally changed my life in three minutes. Maybe not even because their songs are pretty fucking short. <laughs> some are short. Yeah. But the ones. But what, yeah. What, ones what, what, what would have been the key songs or album or albums by GBV that were kind of that I you became obsessed then with? Then the first one I heard was Vampire and Titus. And it was one night driving with him in the car going to different spots in LA when I was 16. There's a song called Donkey School that is short that I was just like, I couldn't stop listening to it. But then that whole album, then B Thousand. And Alien Lanes. You know what's funny when you're younger? Like I'd hear Built the Spill song and a guy by voices song and like I wouldn't like dissect it. It was clearly it's produced different. It's different kind of songwriting and guitar playing. But you just get fascinated by different things and you build your own encyclopedia. With the Built a Spill thing, I feel like a lot of people who that's their point of entry to music passion, like start off playing that style of kind of arpeggiated guitar playing that he's so good at and so known for. And I'm remembering now, as you talk about Buddy, that when we first met and started doing interviews like this mm -hmm. and we would have some time alone together on the Strokes yeah. backstage zone, yeah. that Buddy Holly was a thing yeah. that... Well, that Buddy Holly and Roy Orbison were definitely like, I felt like I didn't belong. You know, I was in like seventh grade and liked Buddy Holly and Roy Orbison and everyone was like, what? I was like, shit, <laughs> born in the wrong time. Maybe that's why I connected to Back to the Future. I was like, oh my God, I want to go back. Early on, did the liking of music by other artists feel like it was connected to the, I am also a music artist? Like, or they kind of separate tracks for a while while you were kind of learning to play and appreciating music? Like how early on did you start to see yourself as does that make I sense? I do. It, it does make sense. You're always in training. I would never have called myself a musician. It's even hard. Now I've been in it a long time, so I feel like 
there's elements that I can and elements that I'm still striving for. But at the beginning, I would never, I would just have said that that's what I wanted to be. I wanted to be part of that fabric. You have to have this weird belief. It was so fun to have that complete faith though, just weird belief that you could do it because it's a weird idea to think that you're just going to write songs or that you can. But your dad could, right? Yeah, I know. It's funny. So it's more of a concept that's a t- you could touch it because he was in the room. He went in the room. There wasn't a song. He came out. There was a song, right? For sure. I don't know why I saw it so separately. Because even when I said the Buddy Holly thing, he was like, yeah, well, that's what I do. And I was like, well, not really. I don't know if I needed it to be my own thing because we have the same name, mm-hmm. Junior. So if, like, if everything was, it was just like, oh, what the hell? I've got nothing. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, there's elements I must have when I was younger and I'd go to the studio, like at nine, I saw him, you know, this guy he'd go make demos with is so cool. I just kind of like, it's elements I took with me, like listening to music very loud, just grew up like that. I don't know how else to listen to music (laughs) besides very, very loud. But yeah, with the guitar style, so with a little bit of Buddy Holly and Roy Orbison and a little bit of Bill to Spill and Guided by Voices, when you were first starting to play, before you'd even written songs, what did your guitar style sound like initially? Mm, it's interesting. That took a little bit of time to happen because I wanted to write songs. You know, most people, like they like guitar and they want to be like Jimi Hendrix. Like There wasn't lead players I wanted to be like. I just wanted to sing and write songs didn't fully understand why or how or but you know it wasn't until I got in the strokes that I started to think about it more and develop my style off of kind of like what was needed or what was missing or Nick and I are different guitar players so Mm -hmm. it's like instead of trying to compete with him going a different way I feel like I discovered myself in playing with those guys that are all so talented that it's intense sometimes because it's not easy going at all, but I feel like it does help shape you fast. Yeah, there's a like needing to step up in order to meet the challenge kind of situation. Yeah. And like, I guess every band does it differently. Some bands like allow like whatever the people do naturally come out and it creates the stuff. Ours wasn't so much like that. But in how we did it, we kind of like took on the parts and made them our own, I guess. So I want to circle in on the leaving L.A. moment that you alluded to Mm -hmm. earlier, because you've talked about this kind of teenage period earlier on where you're starting to be introduced to some of the music that led into this phase. What made you be like, get me the fuck out of here? And tell me about that and kind of the phases that led to you joining the Strokes. Well, I didn't want to go to college, but my dad hadn't even finished like junior high. So I think he was like, you got to apply to at least one. I liked movies a lot, and so I applied to NYU film school, and I don't know how I got in, I'll be honest. My essay was about taking acid. They said, don't send slides, and I sent slides of my photography. My grade point average was too low. My SATs were awful, but whatever. I got in. I wanted to defer for a year anyways. I'd gone to private school, so I just felt like I needed to, like, if I had the luxury of growing up a certain way, I needed to, like, just, like, live life a little bit, you know, kind of go out and get a job and just see what that was like. I was just surrounded by, it was very boring. Everyone just talked about going to college and making money. And I was just like, it sounded awful. So I took a year off. I went to New York Film Academy, which is now gone, but it was across from Andy Warhol's factory. And it was where Kansas City was. 
Max is Kansas City is where New York Film Academy was. It. And I left LA because I liked getting fucked up, but I liked doing it and then working. And all my friends were going too far. And I was just like, I don't know why I had this line. I was just like, I will not get that fucked up until I've made it. Just will not. I'll never make it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't know why I did that. I just like stopped seeing everyone for like two months before and then flew to New York and moved across the street to where Julian was working and walked in and I don't know, I didn't know anyone in New York. So I was just like, maybe he'd remember me from boarding school. And he did. And we hung out within a few weeks. We were living together. Because in boarding school, you were aware of each other, but it wasn't like a thing. You're American. And when you're in a foreign school, you bond with other Americans. It's funny. It's, they always say that school, like, oh, you go to that school, you'll find people you do something with later in life. And you're just like, no way. And of course, I go to that school and find Was something. music a thing, though, that you bonded over back then, even or similar tastes in no, music? No, just a Mario Kart or Micro Machine thing is the same like Mario Kart. It's video games and just like, I don't know, just kind of like, there was just an energy that just felt normal. I don't know how he would have felt. I mean, I was younger, so it's like. But he was, it was easy to hang. He was I think easy I just looked out. really young, too. So I think he was. Yeah, it was easy to. Yeah. So going back to you, walk into the place he's working and he does remember you. He does. At first he was worried because that school, when I said that school to someone there, he was like, tell him I don't work there. But I was across the street. So I was like, well, I live over here. Tell him to give me a call if he's around. And he calls me and we just start hanging out. And I met Nikolai. And then he's like, what are you doing? And I was like, well, I just I play guitar. And he's like, we're actually looking for a guitar player. And I was like, amazing. I'd never been able to get into a band in LA. So I was like, we try out. He then went somewhere and like, there's no cell phones, right? So I was calling. I didn't realize I forgot he was with his mom and I kept calling late at night and she picked up and she was sleeping. I was like, shit, did he give me a wrong number? And I was like, oh man, maybe they, this was after I went, I had a fever the first time I rehearsed with everyone. It was awful, so intense. But supposedly I had gotten the job anyways, but I didn't know I had, he didn't come in like five days. So I was like, fuck, I was so bummed. And then he came back and he was like, oh, no, I thought, <laughs> it's so like him. He's like, oh, no, I thought you knew that you were in. And then a few weeks later, we found uh, an apartment between 18th and 19th yes. on 2nd Avenue. On 2nd, right across the, from. The one was like a dumbbell. Like you walk in, it was a kitchen. I had my room in my bathroom and he had his room in his bathroom. Very funny. We lived there for like three or four years. As you said earlier on, you had felt like I need to do something with songs. I need to do something with music. And so once this was happening, you were in this band. Like, did you feel like, yeah, this is the start of something? Were you feeling yeah, like excited, weirdly, optimistic about where we you had none of the songs that people know, not even the ones that aren't out that people kind of know, not even those. So like way before that, yeah, as soon as I met Julian, I felt like, and the guys, I felt like something was going to happen. It just, everything felt like it was flying by. It just felt like you were in a gang. So. In a gang, do you think you're going to be successful? No, but you just feel, okay, doesn't matter. Who cares? Make it, don't. You're just like, you feel badass. So it's like, what more do you want at 18 years old than to feel badass? In your mind's eye now, when you think back on that first, say, the year 2000 or something, right? Like before everyone's starting to pay attention and be like, what's going on there? Up until when you're playing shows with your one of your favorite bands, Guided by Voices, and everything yeah. is going super fast in 2001. Like in your mind's eye now, does it seem like it took a long time for the Strokes to get to that fast part? 
or does it seem like it was just like that? I mean, it definitely wasn't just like that. It had steps getting there, but there were a few like bleeps. Like we had, you know, early songs and first playing shows. And it was like, well, we're playing shows. That was fun. To then the first time we played a song that was like on Is This It? And it was just like different. Do you remember much about that? Yeah, at Arlene Grocery, there was a snowy night and we knew we were going to play. And it was like, man, it sucks that it's snowing. So intense. And I think we did, I want to say we did Selma. Yeah, I mean, I remember one night at Luna Lounge, the two new songs we had were Modern Age and Last Night. So it just felt like really cool songs. I mean, every time we were doing something, it always felt like that, you know, and you were just kind of like, it's different when no one's hurt. You're in a room of 30 people, so it's not like... No one was like, oh, my God, you guys are going to make it. Totally. But I mean, for you individually, just as like a singular human, like going through these experiences and having some aspirations, but not really knowing what they were and going, you know. No, for me, it felt like I kept thinking in my head, I kept saying it out loud. It's like 2001's coming. Like, there's going to be like a shift. I don't know why I kept thinking it. It's like, it's definitely going to be a shift in things. Like, we're going to want something different. It's almost like you could taste or smell something that just took time to get there but it was special like these moments exist forever while you're doing it so it's like i might know a band and they're like man they played that in front of like 30 people like whoa but when those things become successful it's a different interaction like this was successful and just in i don't know i can't describe it it just feels right. Feels it really sounded cool. how you wanted it to sound, basically. I mean, we were yeah. close. Probably a little sloppier than they are now. It was pushing everyone's ability. We weren't like always trying to be tighter and tighter. We practiced a lot. We were probably much looser because we were so excited or we sped up and slowed down or things didn't. I remember having the solo but not knowing it when I went to go play it live, just like messing it up completely because I didn't, you know what I mean? You don't know it and like your nerves and... I bet you outside people would have a different outlook. For me, it still feels like that same band that was doing it there when I'm in dressing room. History, there's many different things, but if you catch it right at the right moment and we're just chatting, it could be 20-something years ago and I wouldn't know. It's just the room's changed. You know, we used to always hang out. We would walk home together after rehearsals and we'd start dividing, you know, across town, downtown. People would split off at different times. As long as we would just stop and like talk on a corner for like two hours. So it's like, sometimes it just feels like that. Or the essence of that is in there. Except like you don't understand that 20 years have passed and you've like done all this stuff and still survived. It doesn't, it'd be impossible to try to grab onto that. But were there moments along the way when you thought, okay, we're getting better at blank or we know what we sound like now or that kind of thing? For sure. I mean... Definitely, that's the times that we started bringing like 30, 40 people to every show. And there'd be like a pocket of people we didn't know. That felt different. Doing the EP with Gordon felt different. As soon as that was done, it was just like, I don't know. I just felt very happy to hand that to someone. And like, how had you guys met? How had you guys met Gordon? He was at that show. And Carrie Black, I don't know really what she did. If she at that Luna Lounge show where you played. Yeah, if she like, if Carrie Black, like Carrie Black brought him, but I don't know. Carrie Black, like, did, I think she did promotion or something. I don't know if we ever used her or anything like that, or maybe one show at Don Hill she helped get. But Gordon was there, and then I went to go see his studio, and then it seemed cool, so I was was like, we should go down there. It was really fun, because all the other times we had recorded, 
just felt like there was a lot of rules or like we couldn't sound the way we wanted to. You know, you could see Julian's frustration and that's like you're individuals, but you're like can feel everyone. So like to be like Voltron, everyone has to be firing. And so it wasn't until we met Gordon in their room that it was like, yeah, it was awesome. The Voltron analogy runs deep with the strokes. We grew up with it. We used to have, because we would talk about what kind of band we wanted to be. And there's a lot of bands in that time that were like, you know, singer and like blurry other musicians. And the idea was like, we don't want to be a pop band, but it's so cool how you know all the names. And it was like, why wouldn't you want to have everyone know everyone's name? It seems like you would just be allowing yourself to be bigger because someone could not like all four, but like one, and there you go, you're still coming. So we made that a point always, to always showcase all of us. Like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Yeah, yeah so all those things. It's, like, it's just like a band. That's what, I think that's what people like. I highly agree with that. In fact, I mean, the Strokes are one of the examples I think of when I think of like, especially nowadays when there's the theory that a band in the classic sense, like doesn't have a shot compared to like a project or whatever it might sure. be. That like as a band, as a group having where a band doesn't have a shot, though, that's the whole point of you never know. That's the whole roll of the dice. It's the gamble. You know, I mean, I don't know if the fabricated ones have any more of a shot. They just have it's like business. They just have maybe like stronger investors. But having to your point, like having where your band is like kind of like superhero characters or, you know, where everyone it's like everyone has a different favorite, as you're saying. I mean, that's one of the things that I think like is part of Vampire Weekend's strength is like if you like Vampire Weekend, you like Ezra and you like Chris and you like Chris. And when Rostam was in the band, you know, it's like sort of like or Blur, right? Yeah. Blur is a great example where they, I feel like, did that too. I think maybe it's sometimes just strong bands. It also happens naturally. It we're very, is, we're right? very five, you know, like headstrong people, which creates battle sometimes, but it's also maybe what creates that intensity yeah the, the other time i noticed was like when we went to the uk i definitely started to it was so strange i remember being in my second year of nyu and needing to drop out because i was like oh i got it this actually might you know see what kind of legs this has it's hard to be that young and think about you really don't think that far you're just like it's starting <laughs> something is starting doesn't matter, like we're playing a show far away or we're flying over here, or we're doing something. Then as time goes on, you can look at it more and be like, I'd love to create with these guys as I'm older. Because I'd be so curious to see like, I feel like we're so interesting at different times with each other. So even at 60, I wonder what we would create. Like, what would the band sound like? What would we do? Would our strengths and weaknesses change? And how would that make our sound change? It's interesting to me, would we do like... Who knows? Would we do that movie soundtracks? Would we do like a Broadway thing? Would we just still be touring? I have no idea. It's just like, it still feels so exciting. I can't wait to find out. Yeah, me too. And then it's off to the races and the strokes are blowing up. But by the time we get to 2006, you're making solo music already at that point. Yeah, that's right. During First Impressions, I started to, yeah, I just wanted to finish these songs. I didn't think I was going to tour or like, whatever, putting it out just meant like being done and being like, I thought I'd never grow if I didn't like, this is done. This isn't like, I'm going to go mix it or don't listen to it fully. I'm still working on it. Like it's done. Something has to be done so I can go on to the next thing. 
Mac DeMarco said that well in these his big thing of songs. Like I totally get that. I've had 199 songs, listeners. Mac DeMarco. Yeah. I felt like that on this last song. I could have probably never stopped recording. It's like 19, how many? It's 19 songs. Yeah. But I could have, I had 20. I just put one away, but I could have kept going. I stopped myself because things just got a little out of hand and I hadn't written any lyrics. And I was just like, I'm never going to finish this. But I wanted to keep such a good spot. I wanted to keep recording music. So you're saying that that's how it kind of started with the first solo record too, was this impulse to the finish. The first one I just had, like, I didn't even have all of them. I just had these little things and I'd found Greg and it was like, cool. I'd found someone who could help me translate it. My demos are really rough. I like them, but they're like, talk about low fidelity. I don't think people would, I like it. I like it all fucked up. And so I felt like, cool, I found someone and I kind of went on a journey and the last couple songs were new songs in there. And it was like, oh, great. I can, I'm hopefully better. I think the whole goal actually was just to be better, to maybe bring in better stuff for the band. How did it sort of change? And how did having that outlet during and in between Strokes albums, like inform? I mean, it's always such a battle. I mean, I hate it. I'm like, I just want to be in a band. And then when the first one was just my name, I was just kind of like, I still wanted to be in a band, even though it was my name, which is a, a mistake. Because I, you know, I like working with people. You know, I don't like just being like alone doing stuff. I like bouncing ideas off of people. I don't like other people's ideas and kind of like using that limitation to create more just disagreeing. I have a strange relationship with like my own stuff. I think it was just, each one probably something else. Like I was just trying to finish something. The second one was high as a kite, who knows? And then I was like done. Excited to do stroke stuff. And then we didn't tour one. So I was like, well, what am I gonna do with my life? And I did a an EP and I had written songs for so long after getting sober, and that was the first time. And I was like, oh shit, cool. I can write again. It was so nice. It was just for so many years to not have some that's when I really felt like I didn't have an outlet. I took it for granted because every day I'll, even if it's bad or it's good, I'll have a little thing I put down every couple of days as like a release. There's no pressure. Just like two years of just having nothing. You're just like, when it's like how you define yourself, you're like, well, what do I do now? And you already feel like you don't have your brain anyway. So it's even scarier. And then the momentary masters was like, I had some very good players to play with. It was fun. And then at the end of that, I had like, perfect band of people to do Francis Trouble. And it was like, cool. There's no band. It's just me. I'm fronting it. I had to accept it. And so I created this alter ego to like live in it a little easier. And the alter ego was kind of like my, I mean, this story was, it's a true story about my twin, but I just thought like the unlived life. And then I just thought when you're younger and I fell in love with music, when you fall in love and you don't know the business, it's so different to then when you're actually doing it professionally. So I was like, I want to go on stage like that kid. And that kid is kind of like my twin who passed away at five months. Like, what would he have? Like, why don't I just live vicariously through him? It's just a good story. It sounds like a superhero story, really. That is really like an energy and a trauma sure. and an experience that like one might process that way. Yeah, it's, yeah. Well, that's that's helped, that's I was 36 yeah. when I was in Argentina when they were telling me, because you know, when you see pictures, you see twins and they look like, two balls kind of far away from each other. And then you realize they're like pressed against each other completely. Like so much so that there was like a fingernail in when I came out in the placenta of from the other 
kid. And so I was just like, it really got me. It was like, just spiritually, I was like so close to someone that I don't know. It's so interesting to me. There was another person. It was another boy. You know, we would look different, but it was just, I would have had like a brother. Such a different life. Yeah, so each one had its own thing. It's wonderful. I love writing songs. It's wonderful to have an outlet, but it's a very complex thing for me because I really just want to be in a band. And so like, but I live in a terrifying band that always feels like it's, I don't know, sometimes where it, if it's up or it's down, it doesn't work for some people's personalities. It's like amazing. They go with it and look how long I was so worried. Look how long I'm still doing it. Right. But like, I don't know, maybe it just keeps my brain busy. I just like creating. I mean, my, my favorite part in the studio with Gus, that's why I say I would not stop, just do stuff. I don't even care sometimes to like, lyrics are the last thing for me that I really, I don't, I like lines or a song title, but I don't really care. You know, I get moved more by music and some things work. And I mean, I do care, but I'm just saying like, I can like get a song, sing a demo, make stuff up, finding the melody. And I'm just like, happy as a pig and shit with that. And then I know I need to like, in, and then it's amazing when it is done and it has a deeper feeling. But I, I just, if I'm trying to find like a genuine gut feeling of just feeling good in the songwriting process, it's like taking some raw nugget and not disturbing it and letting it build up and finding parts and turning it into a song. And always with the chance that you could end up writing something that like a song that you grew up listening to that made you feel a certain way. So the next one is always a chance. So when you're the very first phase of songwriting, and even if it's just melodies on hiatus, this new group in particular, like, yeah, what's the first thing that happens? On airplane rides and different stuff, I'll mark voice memos I like, and then I'll have a whole bunch. And then I'll be like, oh, let's just go back and be like, oh, this one's fun. But is it more of a, at the inception point, is it more of where you're like sitting here, I'm not here, and you're like, wait a minute. I feel like I have something yes, in my head or is it where you're like, you know what? It's time to write something. Here's the keyboard. Let me just sit no, here. No, it's not even like time to write something. I just pick it up or do something every day. It might be nothing. It might be in the middle of finishing practicing and you go into something and you stop practicing or like grab the keyboard and you're just like, put your hands weird, <laughs> move around. And then you just kind of like, I just get lost. Sometimes things come out. And as they're coming out, you're like, where the fuck is my phone? I got to record this. I'm going to forget this. I mean, even like just you're saying like five lines. You're like, oh, my God, this is perfect. I'm not going to remember. I always record. But that's the feeling you're looking for probably when you sit down to do it is the one where you're like that. Yeah, it's, it's exciting. It's exciting. And then that, that's almost exciting enough where like I don't even want to like, I was just like, I'll let it sit there. I'll come back to it. You know, I guess most people might take that and keep going with it and finishing it. I have stages. I have different stages. A lot of people tell me about similar kind of thing where they set it aside. And then when it's time to go back through that stuff, like building on the stuff that they found. Regina Spector has a great analogy about like every time she's making an album, she feels like she's taking a, like a boat out to an island of like song ideas. And they're like, me, me, take me back to the mainland. And she's like, I'll take you from two years ago and you from 10 years ago and you from two months ago. Yeah. Sometimes it's they all- even mix together. I've had songs on my record where like that are slow piano songs like that are end up being like really fast loud band songs but if i played you 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 would think like what would you do with that and it just sounds cool tell me a bit about the just the setting and 
the process of it was all like this like how you have it set up here is all like i was deconstructing the last album which was in my studio at upstate with a mm-hmm. band working on songs and then playing it live and it's just drum machines migas plug direct i love plugging my guitar direct that's like i feel like it's my sound really clean direct guitar and just starting there just like the beginning of the song getting a vibe there was actually this drum machine app that i had on my phone because i feel like early demos are just trying to create a vibe you know so it's like so i play the song to that it's just like easy and then you just have like a little thing and it's usually just like a b or first chorus or what you think first chorus or a b a b let's just get there where is it good where is it bad then you branch out and you're like, oh, maybe it needs something to get to B. Maybe A sucks and B is the real song and that becomes A and you need a new B, you need a new chorus. And the intro and then parts come later. But that whole process, I love that whole puzzle. You know, Sometimes it's like daunting too, though, because you have like an awesome thing and you're like, shit, now I got to sing over it? Like, we just spent like two days figuring all this stuff out. What about like as a live performer? Like, when did you first perform in front of an audience ever? I mean, I always felt like a performer just because I used to roller skate. So from when I was nine, I performed in front of people. What do you mean? You know, like figure skating and ice skating? Yeah. But I did that on roller skates. I had a partner. I did my own routines. I did dance. You're blowing my fucking mind right now. You're blowing my mind. 9, 10, 11, 12. I did it here. Look at these. So this is me. I liked getting first place. So... I would just like to describe that this is a beautiful photo from 1989 of Albert. It says Southwest Pacific Championships. Albert has won a trophy for first <laughs> place and is wearing all white. Looks like a Boz Skaggs album cover almost. And, uh, and wow. I have one with my partner. Yeah, how did, it, did, your, how did you get uh, I went to a birthday party, whatever, at seven or eight. People have birthday parties at Moonlight Roller Rink or the one in Northridge. So you're in Tarzana. And there was someone there who was like, you should bring your son for lessons. He holds himself well. <laughs> it's such a strange part of my life because I don't remember it, but I would practice every day for like three or four hours. Wow. For school. And how many years was that a big part of your... Three? Three yeah. years. I competed all around. I went to nationals. Got first in California and nationals was in Dallas. I got fourth. So you loved it. I did. I loved winning. And then I just was in sixth grade and I just like hurt my ankle and I was just like, I just didn't care anymore. It's usually the time that stuff like that stops or you like commit to it. Do you remember any of the songs you skated to? They were like medleys, you know what I mean? Like you have like a, you build a routine, like whatever, three or four minute routine. It's like thriller and stuff like that. Yeah, I don't don't remember. Songs of the day. It's just like whatever. It's like big song. Yeah, I imagine it's like big songs. Wow, that's so interesting. So, right. So you were used to having an audience and having a kind of... Well, I'm just saying it was somewhere in there. When I first played on stage playing music, I I didn't want to go on stage. I was like, it was like three days before the show. I was like, what am I doing? I'm just saying there was something in there from a young age where I'd been in front of people and I liked it. I enjoyed doing it. Some of it, in some ways, felt natural. I don't know what was your first question. Yeah, I mean, it's just sort of like leading to wondering how, whether it took a while to feel comfortable on stage or whether it took a while to sort of feel like, okay, I know the the way I want to move. the way Because, you you know, you have signature moves. Yeah, yeah. I think it was pretty fast. But we also, like, when we were younger, our rehearsals were like shows. So a four-hour rehearsal would be like we played four hours 
show, you know? So it's like, I feel like sometimes you're still trying to do it. Sometimes it's like, you don't get there, but you, you're trying to rehearse so you can play the parts like in an entertaining way. I think that's the big difference. Even in sports, the great players are, are ones that are a little more interesting. They're not just like doing it. It's more than just doing it. Obviously, there's a lot over the years, there's been a lot of reflecting on the early aughts and the era during which the Strokes came up. But I wonder if at the time, if you remember at the time, those other artists that were coming up around then as well, did you have an instant with some of them where you're like, yeah, they're also, our band is really good, but they're also really good. Who were the people who, especially if you got to see them perform? I was so late, always so late, because I was like doing stuff with the uh, yeah yeah yeahs were like i remember when i heard maps like four years after it came out and i was like have you heard this song this is really good <laughs> i mean early on when we played with regina and kings of leon it was amazing it's funny when you're in it sometimes it's hard to see anything but what you're doing you know and i can just be competitive sometimes so just like Sometimes you're just like, I don't need to hear that other stuff that's supposedly also out there. Or you just I don't. Like, I wasn't even, I'm not even someone who, like, hears things sometimes now. Like, things will come my way, but it's not like I'm like, like, when I was younger, I wasn't like, what's happening right now? Play me the 15 things that are happening right now. It's just like, things come in and you're like, whoa, what's this song? It could have been 30 years ago, 100 or five minutes ago. It didn't matter time-wise when it came out. I wasn't like, I didn't feel like I needed to know what was happening now. Then or now. Right. I mean, so it's like, I don't know why. I understand that really well, you know, in the context of like reflecting nostalgia for early aughts, like same thing for me, you know, having been a part of it, I just feel like I'm just like, oh yeah, that was all, that did all happen. That was all happening. It was a phenomena. It was an era. But um, you can't see that. But you can't see it when done. you're in the midst of it. No and, one thought that when it was happening. Exactly. You know, I mean, it's hilarious because you have no control over it. It did feel like when we came out just people would not stop talking about us. But I, I always said I felt like when the five of us are together, the universe does something different. From the moment I met them, even before we did anything, it just all of a sudden the world just felt different. You can only explain it like when you're watching The Matrix and he sees the numbers, you're like, oh. So then it didn't feel that weird when stuff would happen because it was like, yeah, I don't know what was going to happen, whether it was like, you know, Die in a car crash. I knew something was going to happen. Yeah. You know, it felt like something was going to happen. I didn't know. Obviously, couldn't predict. There's an inevitability this, about it. Right? And I always think it's funny when people would ask us about being talked about. It's like, what do you mean? It's not like we have no, you can't plan for that. You can't do it. It's no choice. It's not like people just decide to go with it. And everyone was one-upping themselves. It was crazy. What do you mean by that? Sorry. I just mean like if they put you on the cover and said something, the next person was like, okay, each one gets an individual cover and yeah. we'll say this. And you're like, okay, seems like a lot, but you know, <laughs> and then like, you're going to do this. It just felt like it kept like, like it was like a feeding frenzy a little bit. What's the most surprising aspect of where you are now to you? What do you feel sort of like if little kid you who was roller skating had showing you a picture of you sitting here with a thing, or even just sort of things that have become interests now as an adult that you've pursued, because you also do other creative things outside of music and other businesses that you pursue. Like, yeah, sort of your life now and how it looks, how is it kind of most different from what you might have pictured as a kid? Yeah, I mean, in high school, I always told everyone that I was going to be in a successful band. <laughs> I felt like I had to say it. Because if not, it's just like it's already so unlikely that unless you said it out loud, you would lose your own faith. 
that's a tough one. I mean, I feel really grateful to be here right now, but I don't know what I would have thought. I don't even think I would have early twenties would have thought I'd make it past 30 or even care. It's like, now I'm thinking what I can do now that will affect me in 10 years. Whereas when I was there, I wasn't thinking how it's going to affect in 10 years. I care less. Yeah. Maybe there's something like fun with the idea that it's just fast, you know, and then you get past it and you're like, well, there's more than just that. (laughs) It's hard to tell someone that, or maybe that was the way I was able to like keep my head down or I, I don't know who knows what you have to tell yourself sometimes to get to certain places or like, Maybe it's good at first and then bad in the long run. <laughs> right. Like you have to let go. There's people who are like, who were probably made it in a certain way and they were a certain way and they think they have to be that way all the time when they don't, you know? Well, that's the common curse of a publicly known successful person is feeling that they can't change. The public curse or the negative to its positive is at some point when you're doing it for a long time, you feel my identity so with it, I wouldn't know what to do with myself without it. Like all five of us, the identity of being the strokes is so ingrained that I wouldn't know what life was like without it. I think there was waves of it where you're like, scares you. And then you kind of like dream about not being like that. And now it's just like, that's fantastic. It's almost like, hold it up. proud flag. I like being in a band. You know what I mean? I wouldn't want to have a weight of like a single person it's just like it's so fun to be in a band i really feel like also like the new abnormal definitely feels like it started a new chapter for the strokes in terms of like i don't know just like a very solid base of like yeah there is still room it proved that there was still room for growth in a way for like this whole new audience and a new level of achievement getting nominated for and winning grammy for the first time at that point that album was a huge success. It's just like, okay, yeah, there's still road. Well, we're going, we don't need roads. But so <laughs> funny. I'm watching the Michael J. Fox thing. But there's people coming to our shows who know us just off the new abnormal. Like they don't know stuff before the new abnormal. It's very funny. You can see them like, look at photos or hear songs and just not understand. Like for them, the band, it's beginning is the new abnormal. It's very exciting for that to have happened. It's very exciting to see what the next records could be because of that. Because it's almost like a reset. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. And working with Rick Rubin, I'm sure has got to be just an amazing kind of download of like a, from the universe of music greats. Is the vibe of being in a room and hearing what he has to say about something, you know, is it a special thing or what does that sort of feel like? Yeah, it's really nice to hear his opinion or hear he likes something, even more so just sometimes where he thinks a song is. Like you might have a verse and chorus and he's like, no, the whole song, the verse is the whole song. You don't need another part. And you're like, wow, okay. But also having someone like that, that we all older, that we look up to, that we've connected with, kind of allows us just to be like a band again. 
you know, he'll leave and be like, okay, just jam on some stuff and record stuff. And it's almost like, you know, your teacher, you're like five guys like, oh shit, we got to do work. Let's just go have dinner. Let's not do the work. <laughs> and then they wake up early and do the work. You know, it's like, I weirdly feel more like a kid around him than I did when I was younger. That's awesome. But is it truly like, you know, there's the sort of like his legend of having an ability to bestow a kind of creative wisdom that is somewhat unparalleled. Yeah, I know. He's really, is that, he's that was really, your he's really amazing. The thing is that a lot of times things that are really amazing are very simple. And so like, maybe you can't tell. People always said the thing that they told us is that he's not there. And I don't feel that at all. I feel like if you can't produce yourself, he might be a tough person. Like if you need help just all the time, right. then it might be, it might be tough. But I always felt like he was there plenty. You know, he'd work on songs, on arrangements. He would go from as simple as arrangements to songs to the record to like when we felt like we had a take to everyone's parts. Like that was cool. Do that. Don't do that. And then even without even this, it's so funny, this how uh, things in working with someone, things change. And he doesn't come in being like, I'm going to make him do this. But he's aware that something's happening. And then he pushes you in that direction. And all of a sudden you have a record, like for the new abnormal, you have a record where like certain songs are a little longer or there's a little jam and a little part where like we would do normally, but on record we would hone it in. And so like he just felt we were going there and just allowed the room for it. you know and then you're just playing and you're like we have it really i don't feel like we have it and then you hear back the pieces they put together and you're like holy shit sounds great okay cool the beauty is when you have someone like that is that you start trusting and then you let go and then when you let go you're going to create new and different stuff because your body isn't trying to hold on to something else you know that's why you try to find people like that to work with or that's what like a band does for people they just let him be free to figure something else out. You mentioned earlier the idea of like, what will a stroke sound like when y'all are 60? I mean, the thing that keeps us together is I think we still have so much good music to write. Like, I don't feel like it's like done. I feel like it's just begun in many different ways from everyone, from whenever I hear people come up with parts and everything. So that alone is just very exciting. And then I just feel like I just have these weird images where like, Let's say like we couldn't tour or something or like we're older and like it didn't feel right. But what kind of music would we create? And would that be like even bigger than being normal? There's something about whenever we do something that got our backs against the wall or like we're doing something that is against the grain. That's where I'm saying when the five of us are together, it somehow it works. Like other times people do it against the grain and like people fight it. But with us, it just like goes into the stream, into the mainstream of, of things. You know, you can't find that or buy that or search for it. It's just luck. Yeah, you got to just let it happen and let, you know. Who knows if that even, you know, it could happen, it could not happen. Right. Whether or not it happens in the foreseeable future, beyond melodies on hiatus, are there sort of creative things that you're like, you know what, in my 50s, no. I want to try and do a little some of this and that? I mean, with... Gus Ober, who just run a house and did the Strokes fourth and fifth album and all of my stuff. And then Colin, who's like a multi-instrumentalist who played on Francis and this album. Like, I'd love to like us be a team and produce and write for people just because we have so much fun together. And I feel like we create really interesting things and we fill in the gaps for 
what we do. So that's a cool little team there. Besides like maybe scoring something I wanted to write, like it's fun to write music for films, like a song in a movie, even original song or something else. That seems interesting. Those two things. I mean, I started writing for other people now with Simon, who wrote the lyrics on Melodies on Hiatus. We started like, we bonded over that and just started trying. I mean, that's what she does for a living, so more tagging along, I'd say. It's kind of funny to be discovering that you might be up for doing songwriting with and for other artists because that's what your dad does. Yeah. I mean, he was like a singer-songwriter, but then he had a second... It's when I was born, he had a second career, which was writing for other people. So it's just funny to have avoided it my whole life. And then like somehow doing it differently because I'm still, you know, I think the goal is to always be in the band. But it's just like sometimes it's fun to put yourself out of your comfort zone. and You go back into your band stronger, you know. And so this is your studio. And so this is where theoretically when you're available, like you could have artists come over here and yeah, work yeah. on stuff. In yeah, the, In the back over there is like the little demo room. But I like having the idea was to rent a house over a space just because I like people to sit here and chat with someone and start the song here and then like go to the demo room. Or I don't like little caves or just a cave, you know? Everything here would be for demo and vibe and idea. So it's more than enough. A full studio just felt unnecessary you know, just go into a room now just for a day and record anything i need to and then come back here and something about this house the energy feels the uh, speaking of back to the future this it feels like a back to the future street it does yeah it's very like kind of quaint yeah. and you might come home from tour and find that jenny ellisky is sleeping on the couch i live here now <laughs> the, the, the craftsman and like there's a lot of kids on the street so on the weekend they'll like play like baseball one of the dads has like the net in the back and so they can like I like that stuff. My neighbors over there, their kids are like bouncing on the trampoline. Well, Alfred, I think that's it. I think we're good. We did it. We did it. Thank <laughs> you so much. Thanks for having me. Well, that was awesome, right? Thanks again, Albert. And as I was mentioning earlier, um, Albert's going to be doing solo dates in the U.S. in September. You can get info and tickets at alberthammondjr.com. And thanks again for listening to episode 92 of the LSQ podcast. You can find other episodes at JennyLSQ.com and on all the major platforms. And I'm on socials at JennyLSQ. 